I, uh, I, I just so Claire, Claire was, it was not looking good yesterday for her to even be in church today. So grateful that, thank you, Josh, that, uh, Claire, Claire comes alive when she starts worshiping. Amen. Yeah. So do the rest of us. That's just the reality of our lives. And um, so in Ephesians 6, we're continuing on. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about quenching the fiery arrows of the enemy. We've been talking about the armor of God. And the scripture tells us in Ephesians 6 that, um, again, we don't battle against flesh and blood. We, we uh, are in this battle against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places, things that we don't necessarily see, but they manifest by things that we do see. Um, and last week we talked about having shoes of peace. Today I want to talk to you about taking up the shield of faith, taking up the shield of faith, and that is what quenches Um, That is what quenches in this version, uh, the ESV, it says it extinguishes all the flaming darts of the evil one. Um, I love the word quench, that it quenches the fiery darts of the evil one. Uh, For any of you that saw the movie 300, um, there's that one scene where the arrows come flying in um, and all of the, the soldiers use their shields to kind of what the Romans ultimately later in history, after that portion of history that's depicted in that movie, um, the Romans utilized that same uh, tactic. They would take their shields and they would all kind of gather together in community, hold the shield above their head. Uh, And later in history, the reason I bring up the Romans is uh, what happened after that time in history is then they would start to put pitch on the end of arrows. So they'd shoot the arrows, the huge amounts of arrows at the soldiers, so they'd put their shields up to hold, uh, guard themselves, uh, and they literally set up, the Romans called it a turtle shield, so it was like a turtle when they gathered together, uh, but the enemy, the, the reason they would put the pitch and light the arrows on fire, it wasn't so much they knew that the, the Romans could shield themselves or soldiers could shield themselves when they uh, did that turtle formation. But it would be to distract. So in other words, if they could start a fire uh, around the soldiers, even if they couldn't kill them with the arrows, they could distract them. And that's really what I want to talk about. That's really uh, one of the key issues when we start to talk about faith and engaging our faith to have victory in our lives and over the enemy uh, is one of the primary ways that the enemy tries to do warfare against uh, Christ followers is to distract us from the main thing, right? Now, um, I've mentioned before that the Apostle Paul uh, is the writer of, of Ephesians, so he's in a Roman jail uh, when he's writing this, and he wrote a handful of his letters in Roman jail, but he's just looking at Roman soldier and the equipment that they use. God gives him this insight, but you see through Paul's writings all constantly this issue of he, he not only taught on Uh, how to do warfare spiritually. He lived it. Paul lived everything that he talks about. And it's just beautiful to pick up different stories about Paul. And there's a great one I want to just kind of run through 
uh, with uh, you all, and it's in the book of Acts, starts in the book of Acts chapter 27. Um, Paul, Claire mentioned like going through difficulty and kind of engaging your faith and employing your faith. Paul's life is amazing. Uh, and he even says at one point, he says, whether I'm a base or a bound. In other words, and, and then when you read through his story, just what we know in the, in the scriptures, this is a guy that lived at like the pinnacle of the highest level of influence in his life, um, sat before and with the most powerful people on earth. At times, uh, his life was extremely kind of um, well-resourced. And then at other times, he spent a lot of time in prison, uh, he was in shipwrecks, which is one of the, what the story is around that we're going to talk about. Um, they beat him several times, 39 lashes. The understanding was the 40th lash was the lash that would kill a person. Jesus went through the same treatment when he was beaten. And Paul went through that several times. So Paul, like, is a person of incredible experience and deep faith. And I think there's just a treasure trove of things uh, to pull out of Acts 27. Now, if you have a Bible, pull your Bible out. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to, to just follow along in the Bible, you can raise your hand and uh, the ushers can get you one. Why different translations? I'm going to read this actually to you out of the message version. Um, and people, we've actually had people that have left Crossroads over the years. Not a lot that have told us, but there, there was one young guy I remember years ago just really passionate about his relationship with Christ, but he had such a problem with the message version. And um, we have a belief here when it comes to translation of the Bible, and basically it's this. It's whatever uh, you, you can read, is what you, that's the most spiritual version for you, right? So there's some people that think the only version that God ever reads in heaven is the King James <laughs> which uh, is kind of a joke. But anyway, um, so just, just find something that you, you, what, what needs to happen is you need to read the Bible. Here I go. I'm in the mood to do that again. Anyway, so let me give you a little backdrop on this. So what's happening here is Paul uh, is, it's kind of near the end of his life, actually. So Paul is, uh, uh, he's a Roman citizen. So Roman citizens have the right if they go to trial, if they've been accused of something, to literally ultimately say, like, we can ultimately fight things to the Supreme Court. They had the ability to say, I want my day in court before Caesar, right? And they'd kind of do this process, and as a Roman citizen, they had that right. Citizens from other countries that the Romans would uh, punish didn't have that right. And along the way, they'd go through these different... Uh, instances and kind of court situations, and it, they would never get in front of Caesar. For obvious reasons, they did that. But anyway, so Paul's on his way. He's right before this. He's before Festus and Agrippa. He's kind of been on this journey through court. And Festus and Agrippa, they, King Festus literally says, at one point, Festus says, and Paul is like proclaiming the gospel to Festus, and he says, you know, if you... If you I almost became a Christian because of what you said, which I think is one of the saddest ver uh, verses in the scripture. Uh, it's what I call the almost Christian. And I think a lot of people, I lived that way for the first 18, a lot of the first 18 years of my life, I was the almost Christian. I almost became a Christian. And it's a tragic place to live. You almost feel like you're okay when you're really not. But anyway, so Festus and Agrippa, they have like a council together and they say, Paul's okay. I mean, he really is guilty of nothing, 
But they literally say, but because he wants to be in front of Caesar, we need to let him go, right? So this is where we pick up the story, getting ready to go on a cruise. Um, and uh, this, is, this is where we pick this up. It says, so they've been on this. They're in the middle of a storm. It's horrible. Uh, it's just a, a terrible experience. He's on this ship with other, uh, other prisoners. And, of course, there's soldiers in that keeping guard. And this is what it says. We'll pick this up. It says, with our appetite for food and life long gone, Paul took his place in our midst and said, friends, you really should have listened to me back in Crete because Paul said we shouldn't do this. We should just stay until the weather's better. So don't you love those characters that are like that? You know, it's like he still says the truth. But this is my first point is... uh, when you are living in faith, people living by faith can see it coming. Paul saw this coming. Paul knew trouble was up ahead. This is living prophetically with your faith. This is, this is the invitation for us is to be prophetic and focused when it comes. That Paul basically knew trouble was coming. So he goes on, it goes on, uh, this is Luke, Dr. Luke writing this. We could have avoided all this trouble and trial, but there's no need to dwell on that now. I told you so, but no need. From now on, things are looking up. I can assure you there'll not be a single drowning among us. Although I can't say as much for the ship. The ship itself is doomed. So he's a guy who keeps it real. Like you get, don't you love those people that keep it real? Like you're going through a bad time and you got those people that say it's not so bad. And you're like, no, this really is really bad. Paul wasn't like that. And people of faith can actually say, yeah, this is terrible. The boat's going to shipwreck. It's going to be bad, but we'll be all right. Last night, God's angel stood at my side, an angel of the God I serve saying to me, don't give up critical piece of faith, right? You're going to stand before Caesar yet, and everyone sailing with you also is going to make it. So, dear friends, take heart. I believe God will do exactly what he told me, but we're going to shipwreck on some island or another. What an encourager. On the... On the 14th night, adrift somewhere in the Adriatic Sea, at about midnight, the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. Sounding, they measured a depth of 120 feet. Shortly after that, 90 feet. In other words, they're getting closer to something. Afraid that we were about to run aground, they threw out four anchors and prayed for daylight. So the first thing that Paul shows us is that if we're people of faith, we, we see it coming. We know what's co- You know what's coming. Paul says, listen, this is not a surprise. And then he goes on and talks about an angel speaking to him. But what Paul was never surprised by was trouble. He was never surprised by a fiery dart of the enemy. It never distracted him. It was like, oh, there's the enemy again. I saw this coming. This... This, this happens. You ever, you ever notice how like, uh, the media, like, like you ever watch, isn't it crazy when something crazy goes on in our country, like, or around the world, like just some tragedy or something happens and they always seem to be able to find the one crazy Christian, right? This is it. I knew it. Jesus was on a white horse. I hear the thundering hoof beats of Jesus coming back. Which may be true, by the way, but it's like, 
And they just start to ask him, and they're like, I am on the crazy train. I'm headed to the departure airport right now. Not engaging in bringing hope of the gospel and the kingdom of God, but really increasing the fear. Paul says, I saw this coming all along. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Don't be surprised by that. See it coming. There will be a lot of warfare. There's going to be a lot of fiery arrows coming your way. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church, if we could be the kind of people that not only knew that it was coming, things are coming. They may come by the end of this day. There may be some crazy thing that happens in our culture or another crazy thing that happens in our culture. Wouldn't it be amazing that in the midst of the worst of the worst, if the church and, the, and Christ followers could be the voice of the best of the best. That's what we represent. That's what faith is all about, is that no matter what is going on, Jesus says, have no fear. I have overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid of this. And that we could, we could hold on to the fact that no matter how crazy things get, no matter if it's the worst of the worst, we as a people have the ability to experience the best of the best and we have the ability to offer that to everybody else around us. You gotta see it coming. Paul saw it coming. Paul knew that there was going to be shipwrecks in his future. He knew there was beatings in his future. He knew there was trouble. How do we do this? So how do I see it coming? How can I be more aware of the fact and not be caught? See, this is the, the first place is this issue of distraction to our faith. How can I be the kind of person that doesn't get so shocked and get so off kilter in my faith and distracted by the things that go on in this world and around me? How can I be that kind of person? How can I be a see it kind, coming kind of person? And for those of you that are old enough, you might remember this, but I kind of call this the flashing blue light special type of prayer. We need to get away from that. So those of you that are old enough, you remember that Kmart used to have these flashing blue light specials and they'd take like this little cart and it had a big blue light on the top and they'd move it around about every 15 minutes, they'd move it around the store and then they'd announce where there was a special and everybody would move around like a bunch of ants or cockroaches wherever the blue light was going. And we would move there because we wanted a great deal. What happens though to some of us is the way that we see, the way that we're aware and don't get knocked off kilters, we have to be, listen, it's, it's so important that we're in church. So important that we fellowship together. So important that we're regularly together. It's so important that we worship together. It's so important that we pray together. But it is the essence of your faith and mine that we do it by ourselves even more. That primary to your relationship with Christ and mine is that we get into the scripture, that we do read the Bible, that we do pray by ourselves, that we do sing in the shower or wherever that we worship. Because as you do that, it, it, it increases your faith and gets you ready for the reality of it. this world has got a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in your world. Your world where you live, in your sphere, in your home, in your workplace, in your family. There is crazy town that happens sometimes. And we should know that it is coming and we should be always ready for it. 
We need to see it. We need to know. Even 15 minutes a day, wouldn't it be great? Just a few minutes a day. Just to say, this isn't really surprising. Gosh, this is, I mean, the greatest people, in, in my opinion, that I, of faith that I've ever read about, some of these people in Scripture who had, Paul had these devastating things. This guy was killing Christians before he became a Christian. These, these people, they, then they turn into exemplary people of faith, but their lives were crazy, and it happens with all of us. So when we're people that live by faith and we're people that put up our shield of faith, we have to be people, first of all, that see it coming. Secondly, we have to be people that see it through. People that see it through. So the story goes on, and it says, some of the sailors tried to jump ship. Everyone say, jump ship. Let me give you, let me give you some insight here. Always pay attention to the people that jump ship out of your life. The people that stay on the ship are the people that you can really appreciate. But this is a biblical principle of our faith. Do not jump ship. Do you know how many people I have witnessed jump ship in my life when it came to their relationship with Christ? Just jump ship. The the craziness starts to happen. The storms come. They start to, the heat of the battle goes up. The enemy starts to come in like a flood. And some of the sailors tried to jump ship. But look what Paul does. He says, they let down the lifeboat, pretending they were going to set out more anchors from the bow. Paul saw through their guise and told the centurion and the soldiers, if these sailors don't stay with the ship, we're all going down. So the soldiers cut the lines to the lifeboat and let it drift off. Paul wouldn't even let them jump ship. We're going to see this through together. We're going to make this through, is what Paul says. And then, I love this. He says, so, and he lets the boat drift off. And then listen to what happens. With dawn about to break, Paul called everyone together and proposed breakfast. Let's have a Krispy Kreme together. I mean, isn't that awesome? Is that just awesome? In other words, what Paul's saying, and then the scripture tells us that they haven't eaten for a long time. It's been days since they've eaten. Some of us haven't gone more than about 14 hours without eating at times. So we can feel this 14 days without eating. Paul is saying by his actions, we are in this for the long haul. We are going to, we're going to see this thing through. Issues of faith, you have to be the kind of person that you can see it through. So he broke bread, gave thanks to God, passed it around. They all ate heartily, 276 of us, all told. When the meal was finished and everyone was full, the ship was further lightened by throwing all the grain overboard. I love this. A little bit earlier, he says to them, he says, I urge you to eat something now because you're going to need your strength for the rescue that's coming. You're going to come out of this without a scratch. This guy is in the middle of a storm. They're about to have a shipwreck, and he's casting vision. We're going to see this through. I'm at the place now where I want to tell people, and I, I used to think about this in my own life because I gave my life to Christ when I was 18, and I thought, you know, one of my goals is I want I want my life in Christ to at least be able to be uh, as, at least as long as my life before I gave my life to Christ, and and I I, j- I just thought that, but I I think sometimes because what happens, especially early on for people, there becomes this struggle, and they want to just give up. And I actually have been watching more and more people that have gone on it for a long time, giving up on their faith, 
But it's like, can we at least invest as much time in, in Jesus as we invested in the world before we gave our life to Christ? Couldn't I, and this was a challenge for me, couldn't I at least put as much energy in my life in Christ and give as much attention, just at least that much attention, as much attention as I used to do with the things of the world, the systems of the world that I was pretty confident in. But then I gave my life to Jesus and I thought, man, Jesus is way better than that. Shouldn't I at least give that much attention to Jesus? Of course, I should give a lot more, right? But at least that much. See it through. It has remarkable ramifications. See, because what happens is you and I, we're people of faith. We, we stand on the promises of God. We want to proclaim the scripture. Part of the reason why we want to read the scriptures is because we want to know what promises are in there. Thousands of promises in the scripture. I want to become well acquainted with those things. Then I can pray in an educated way when I'm, when I'm praying. But I don't know the outcome. You don't know the outcome. We stand in faith when it comes to our health. We stand in faith when it comes to our resources our relationships, whatever it is, right? We don't know the outcomes of it, but we can see it through. We can see it through. We can know that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That's, that's a promise that we know. End of subject. That greater is he that is in you than the one that is in the world. That God is for you, not against you. And that ultimately, for you and I, there is no turning back from that. It's like, I can rest in that. I don't know all the details of the outcome, but I can rest in that. We know this in the natural. We see things through in the natural, this enduring and maturing. We just, we, we see it through. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. We hear this in we hear this at weddings all the time, the love chapter, right? But verse 11 is interesting. He says, Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. In other words, what Paul's saying is, my faith is going to be seen through. I am going, my faith is going to mature. It's going to endure. It's going to grow. It's going to develop. And the way that I do that is I have to see things through. That's how I endure and mature. When I was a child, of course I reasoned like a child. When I first gave my life to Christ, of course my faith was like a child's faith. If I brought down our eight-year-old grandson and I, I no, this is better. Um, when you think about a child reasoning, uh, there's things we just get, right? You watch it and we even say it's kind of cute. Like um, we have our, our one of our granddaughters... Um, she, she, if, if you don't let her get, like she'll ask for something or want something, and if you don't give it to her, she just stops. She doesn't really say anything. She just stops. She's just like, life is done. We're, you know, it's kind of like being with the UAW and, you know, one of the auto companies, like, we're just going to wait this out. You know, we'll see who breaks first, grandpa. And she just kind of looks, she'll just stand there like... How much time you got, old man? <laughs> but that's how we can be with our faith, right? It's like, well, we didn't get what we want, so we just stop. But Paul says, as your faith is going, as you're seeing it through, your faith should be changing. It's okay. It's okay early on because you're asking for things and you're supposed to think that you're going to get everything that you want just how you want it. And then comes those days and you're starting to mature in your faith and you realize I am no longer going to get everything I want just the way I want it. And then when you get even older, if you realize it's a good thing, I didn't get that. Do you ever pray for something that you look back on five years?
years later and said, thank God that didn't happen. Right? You guys need to pray more if you had that happen. Thank God that date didn't go on. That didn't happen for me, thank God for that. But I. But that happens in our life. We reason like a child. If I brought, if I brought our eight-year-old grandson down, if I asked him, what do you need to live well? He would tell me something like, I need, I need Cheetos, I need an Xbox, maybe a guinea pig, and hey, throw in some Pepsi every once in a while and a bottle of water, right? Because that's what kids do. But if we're not careful, we stay in this Americanized Christianity where we think that our faith, instead of enduring and maturing and developing and getting a deeper level of faith, we think that our, our faith really, it's, it's just childish. And we haven't seen it through. And when things don't go our way, we stop. This happens naturally, right? When I was young, I'm, I'm 56 now, when I was, say, 20 would have been cool to have a Z28 Camaro, you know, something like that, like that Smokey and the Bandit car, that's how old I am, that kind of car, a cool Mustang convertible, now it's like, you know, what's the gas mileage, I want to, I want to, you know, I want a Fusion or a Camry, because it can't be a Prius or something like that, because that's too small, my body takes a beating, so now it's about safety, what's the safest cars, that just happens, right? You start to see things differently, naturally. It's like when I, when I was younger and I would go to an amusement park, you go into the amusement park and you're looking around and it's like, yes, Adventureland and everything's an adventure. You're going from one ride, you're trying to get in as many rides as you can. You get older like me, you walk in, you're like, man, they're stealing money everywhere here. This is thievery. They, we paid for the tickets. We paid for the parking. We're probably going to have to pay for breathing. Telling the kids no souvenirs. Those things are junk and they cost too much money. The food, it's unbelievable, right? Then you go on a roller coaster. And when I was younger, I'd go on a roller coaster. It's like, this is going to be, I read about this as a ride of my life. This is so awesome. I can't wait to get on this roller coaster. Now I get on a roller coaster and I look it's like, this kid is high that's buckling me in. Who gave this kid a job? Where is the management? My life is on the line and this kid has just boofed a dube in the back room. Lord have mercy. See, the goal of my faith and your faith is that we develop. Development is the goal. I want my faith to begin to match the faith of God. I want my faith. See, if God wants justice, I want justice. If God wants mercy, I want mercy. If God wants forgiveness, I want forgiveness. If God wants healing, I want healing. If God wants peace, I want peace. If God wants restoration, I want restoration. If God wants growth, that's what my faith wants. It wants growth, right? See it through. And then lastly, so, so they crash, but they're alive. They make it to the shore. They grab a plank. They don't even have the boat anymore. They just grab a plank. They surf. And listen, the promise is you're getting to shore, right? 
The promise isn't what the vehicle is that gets you there. The promise is we're all going to get to the shore. That's the promise. So they grab a plank. They get to the shore. It seems like things are getting settled down. Chapter 28 starts and says, once everyone was accounted for, we realized that we had all made it. We learned that we were on an island, the island of Malta, and the natives went out of their way to be friendly to us. The day was rainy and cold, but we were already soaked to the bone. They built a huge bonfire, and we gathered around it. Right? So things are looking up. It's getting better. They're, they've made it to shore. All's going. And then there is this, there is such an amazing picture of humanity in the next several verses. Paul pitched in and helped. Of course he did, because that's what Paul did, right? Paul was like super Christian. So he's gathering up a bundle of, of sticks and he puts it on the fire, and a venomous snake roused from its, uh, from its torpor by the heat, in other words, kind of like a, a semi, not hibernating totally, but like a semi-hibernating, struck his hand and held on. Seeing the snake hanging out from Paul's hand like that made the natives jump to the conclusion that he was a murderer getting his just desserts. Of course he was. I mean, they just got off the shipwreck boat. He comes in, and then all of a sudden a snake comes out. The only thing that would have been worse than a snake was a cat. If a cat would have jumped out of those sticks and bit his hand, that would have been worse. All the cat fans are mad now. And Anyway, Paul shook the snake off in the fire, none the worse for the wear. So they're saying he's obviously a murderer. That's what happens to murderers. They get their hands bit. You ever have somebody think that about you? They may not have told you, but people think this kind of stuff about you. When when things get tough in your life, there are people that think you're getting it because you deserved it. You are just a murderer. You should have your hand bit by a snake. And God help us if we look at people that way. Something to maybe pay attention to in our own lives. We should never think that that's the case. Paul shook the snake off in the fire, not the worse for the wear. So listen to what happens. They kept expecting him to drop dead, but when it was obvious he wasn't going to, they jumped to the conclusion that he was a god. It's like in three verses, this guy goes from being a murderer to God. It's like that is amazing, and that's how people are. And that's somehow, sometimes how our thinking goes, right? Like if things are good, God really loves me. If things are bad, God is really rejecting me. And it's just not true. It's not true at all. What's wrong with these people anyway? I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? So then the head man who's Publius, he's, he's sick and or he's got his dad's sick and Anyway, Paul prays for him. He gets healed. Then, then a healing line. So we've gone from a murderer to God. Now he's got a healing line. Everybody on the island that's sick, he's laying hands on and they're getting healed. And Paul's, you know, he's up for it. But here's the point. When, when you're a person of faith and you're living with your shield of faith, you realize you've seen enough. I love Paul. Paul is not in any way driven by the craziness of these people. Because this is how people view one another when they're not walking in faith. But the truth of the matter is, is we're not trying to be looked at in any way by other people. What Paul shows us is he is living by faith for an audience of one. He had seen enough. He was saying, I don't need bigger faith. I don't need, I don't need, uh, I don't need to, I don't need to grow in any way. I'm just going to live into the, uh, paying attention to the greatness of my God. I loved that Claire was saying, increase our faith, God, increase our faith. See, the problem is, remember when Jesus said, 
He basically said, this is a perverse generation that asks for miracles. He was not saying, or asked for signs, he was not saying there weren't going to be more signs. As a matter of fact, they just kept coming. But what he was trying to get at, and then when he would talk about things like, you just need a mustard seed of faith and you can do these world-changing things. What he was getting at was the issue of our faith is not about so much about us. You can try, you can try, you can try to, you know, meditate your faith to increase. You can, you can growl to try to get your faith to increase. You can do jumping jacks to try to get your faith to increase. The way our faith increases is we realize the greatness of our God and we pay attention to it and we receive it. Paul didn't need to know any more about the greatness of God. He just was living into what, how great he knew God was. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and how great Jesus is. When you lay hands on somebody that's sick, you would never be able to heal them by just laying hands on them by being sick. But you are partnering up with the power of God. When you pray over things like your career or your resources or your business, what you're really needing to do, what we're really needing to do is say, you know what, God, you're great enough for this. I know it. You're way beyond this. So I just partner. I appreciate that. I, I, you, want, you want your faith to increase? Just start meditating on the goodness, greatness, power, exceptionalism, perfection, the love, the ability of God. God is able to do abundantly above more than we could ever hope for, ask for, or think. So when it comes to our faith, we need to see it coming. See what's coming. Be, we need to be prophetic And the way that we become prophetic and we stray from distracted living, we stay focused, is we need to pay attention to the things, that the treasure that God has given us through his word, through things like worship and community, through prayer. We need to be people that commit on this day to see it through, that my faith is not something that is uh, going to have an end cap on it in any way. By my setting, I am going to see this through. I am going to see this life through. I am going to see my faith through. I'm going to see the journey that God has me on through. I'm going to see this through. This is going to be an enduring, maturing faith. I want to be able to look back in five years at my life today and say, man, I can't believe that I didn't have more trust in God. In five years, I want to be much more trusting to God than I am today. Does that make sense? Enduring and maturing and developing. And then lastly, coming to this place where I realized I'd seen enough. By just giving my life to Christ, I'd seen enough. That's why in Romans uh, chapter 1, when it simply talks about, you know, it would be enough. If nobody ever preached the gospel to anybody, it would be enough just by looking outside and seeing the world that we live in, the earth Look at geography. I love when Claire, she always says the first Bible was 
uh, was not the scripture, it was, it was creation, and it's true. That in itself. So the generosity of God. So living by faith is being the kind of people that would just say, you know what, I, if I never see another thing, I've seen enough. I've seen enough, so I'm going to live with three key words. I'm going to live with, this is connected to gratitude. I'm grateful. I love that we started the service out today with a song on gratitude. That was the first song we sang. Because we can never be grateful enough, and it's powerful to live in gratitude. Secondly, I'm confident. I am confident of this very thing. Paul said that he who began a good work in me, Philippians 1.6, is able to perfect it. Till the day of Jesus Christ. I am confident of that. Not confident of the outcomes of a lot of stuff, but I'm confident of the fact that God started something in me and I know God's going to finish that. And then lastly, living by expectancy. And we talked about it in worship again as well. Living a life of expectancy and the expectancy not being an expectancy of disaster and tragedy and trauma but my expectation is on a good God that loves me and is with me. And when tragedy, trauma, or difficulty shows up, that will not be my focus. I'll do what I need to do to get through it. I will bring my best self to those situations. But by golly, I am expecting, I I live with an expectation, and we should be people that live with an expectation of faith that God is with us and he could surprise us in the most wonderful way any moment. And just living in that place, that God's got this. God's got your situation in mind. And he is for us. So, Lord, even today as we consider these things, I pray that faith would increase as we look to you. This is about you, God. Jesus, you are what we need. We sang it a few minutes ago. You are a healer, and you are so much more, but you are all that we need. You are all that we need. So we receive all of the provision, all of the goodness, the blessing, the strength, the abundance, the fullness that you bring. And we make that proclamation today. We're going to live as people that we know you're really all we need. Amen. Let's stand together and maybe just hold our hands open. And um, just however you would like to do this, just hold your hands open to God. And, um, and whatever it is, your situation that uh, needs... Um, for your eyes to be open to see God's provision, God's goodness, God's power, God's mercy, God's comfort. And whatever's been distracting you from seeing that, whatever circumstances, whatever fiery darts there are that have tried to create fires around you, to keep you from seeing God. Just let that just pass by. All the circumstances now, just let it go. 
and just see God. And the most magnificent thing you've ever encountered, maybe even with God. Whether it be in creation, a scripture God gave you, a moment in your life where you were touched by God. And just let that come fully into your awareness right now. God's power, God's grace, God's mercy. Something that would make you just bow your head a little bit because of God's greatness that God is able. And that little bit of a bowing of your head is a it's a way to ascribe worth to God, to say, God, only you are able. Only you could set stars in their course and create heaven and earth and divide water, create species of animals, create human beings in your own image and likeness. Only you. And so God, all the distractions, all the fiery darts that have started fires around me, I'm looking at you right now. God who is great. And I believe that you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. And I believe that you're my portion. And I believe you're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need, for nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for you. You hold my world in your hands. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for you. You hold my world in your hands, and I believe that you're my healer, and I believe you are all I need, and I believe that you're my portion, I believe you're more than enough for me, Jesus, you're all I need. So may the grace of God send us out like children who are provided for by our heavenly parent. May the grace of God send us out like children who know that God provides and God sustains, that God heals 
God is able. And all week long, God, we ask for the grace to keep seeing you and letting all the fiery darts be quenched because our faith is in you and not our circumstances. Each and every one, led by your grace, through faith. Amen. Amen. Have a beautiful week, everybody.